Voices of Children. Hello from the employees of the Commonwealth Club. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the international crisis taking place in Ukraine and highlight an organization working to support the most vulnerable of all the victims, the children. Voices of Children is a Ukrainian organization dedicated to ensuring no child is left to deal with the trauma of war alone. Working at the front lines of the Russian invasion in villages along the Donetsk and Luhansk region, Voices of Children provides a variety of services like art therapy, video storytelling, mobile youth psychologists, and more. If you'd like to help or learn more about Voices of Children and their critical work, please visit voices.org.ua/en. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us today for insightful and informative talk about the arts and disability culture. My name is Robert Milton. I'm the co-chair for the Memberland's Arts Forum and the art curator for the Commonwealth Club. I'll be your moder- I'll be your host today for today's program. The program will be moderated by independent curator Franz Osborne. Also joining us, we have two photographers, Anthony Tussler and Nolan. Nolan Tro, who will help us see the arts of disability culture through their lens. Despite Americans with Disability Act of 1990, small signs of progress here and there, artists with disabilities still face discrimination, prejudice in the arts arena. Disability culture is still marginalized and assessed features are not always offered as standard practice in exhibitions. Today, our panelists will tease out some of these issues and why they matter. Before I introduce them, I'd like to give a little background information about our guests today. Fran Osborne is originally from the UK and now based in California. She's a museum consultant, independent curator, and lecturer for the Museum Studies Program at San Francisco State University. She specializes in accessible exhibitions and often works with the local disability community. Fran was an equity fellow at the Uber Wayne Center for the Arts in 2018 and Equal Justice Residence at the Santa Fe Art Institute in 2019. In the fall of 2021, she curated the Arts of Disability Culture at the Palo Alto Arts Center, which displayed the works of 20 artists with disability. The exhibition centered on representation of people with disabilities and incorporated audio description for each work recorded by the artists themselves. Next, I have Anne C. Tosler. Tosler is a writer, photographer, consultant, trainer, and advocate on disability issues. He was the founding director of Disability Resource Center at Sonoma State University for 22 years. He co-curated probably the first fine art show called DNAT2 that had disability as an explicit subject matter. He has helped to launch a number of nonprofits, including the Institute on Alcohol, Drugs, and Disability, Community Resources for Independents, Disability Associates, and the National Center of Disability and Journalism. His photographs are currently featured at the Ed Roberts campus in Berkeley and numerous independent living centers across the United States. His photos have been shown at the National Center of Civil and Human Rights in Atlanta, so marks the Young Museum in San Francisco. We have Nolan Ryan Tro, is an author, American author. His works focus on stories around disability. In 2015, he received his BA in creative writing from California State University, Long Beach. In 2019, he received MA in experimental humanities, social engagement from NYU, where he focused on human rights, writing, and photography. 
He published stories with New Mobility, the New York Times, Lynn's blog, and the New York Times Exposure with other various other international outlets and clients. He was a member of the Magnum Foundation Fellow Photographer and Social Justice Program. He's also active in the Seven Photo Mentor Program Photographer from 2019 to 2021. He has given presentations about his works at the Philadelphia Museum and the University of Texas. He, is award, he was awarded first prize in the Getty Images of Creative Rosary in 2019. Trill currently is based in Long Beach, California. Welcome, Fran. Welcome, Anthony. And welcome, Nolan. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for this very important topic, actually. A topic that's really not really discussed, really, in traditional art world, really. And I'm glad to have you guys here to really give some insight Thanks. and clarity on this, you know? Yeah. Thank you. With that said, I'm eager to get to this. I'm going to turn it over to Fran, our moderator. Thank you. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you also to the Commonwealth Club for this wonderful opportunity to have a, a kind of open dialogue um, about disability and disability representation. Um, I'm just going to say a few words about um, accessibility in museum exhibitions before we hand over to Anthony and uh, Nolan. Um, and I just wanted to say that as an independent curator, I get asked all the time about what what um, what is needed and um, often it, it's very um, simple inexpensive things that, that museums and exhibitions can do to create um, a more accessible environment um, things like being a very welcoming space um, physically but also um, being personable and introducing yourself to people when they enter um, benches with arms I get asked about benches with arms all the time it's a huge thing that people resist it all the time <laughs> great advocate benches with arms um, but another thing that we'll kind of demonstrate today is audio description and um, Anthony and Nolan are both going to actually describe their photographs for you so if you're a blind or visually impaired person they're going to give you their take on their own photography um, and we're beginning to discover that um, having artists do their own audio description is a really effective and kind of intimate way for um, blind and visually impaired people to um, access what's in a photograph, but also they're really successful for um, a general audience too. So you don't have to be blind or visually impaired to benefit from audio description. Um, so today we have two fantastic um, different photographers with us. And um, I think it's worth remembering that Anthony started working before the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act was put into place. So he has a particular perspective and, and huge experience of the disability civil rights movement and how things have changed. And then Nolan is the newer generation for whom the ADA was actually in place and civil rights were, were part of the law. Um, but as you'll discover, that doesn't necessarily mean that we live in an accessible or equitable world or indeed an, in, an inclusive world. And I think um, one of the things all of us here today are always speaking up about is that when people say inclusion, that they should include the disability right. community in that huge list. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to um, hand over to Anthony in a second. And how we're going to do this is to have a kind of dialogue between Anthony and Nolan. 
and we're going to have pairs of photographs. So um, my first question for, for both of you with this first pair of images is um, if you can talk a little bit about claiming your disability identity and, and how um, taking photographs and being a photographer sort of helped in that journey, in that process of claiming your, your identity. Um, so Anthony, okay. I'm gonna hand over to you and I hope we have the slides. Yeah, we have the slides up, so. Good, sure. So let's see that first photograph. There we go. Um, still kind of blows me away um, to see that. So uh, as Fran was saying, um, I'm 74 years old. I got a disability when I was five years old. And so I've been living in this world without civil rights for quite a while and a lot of my life with civil rights. And back as I was growing up, I was assimilated. I, I tried to pretend that I was able-bodied and ignore the fact that I had disabilities. I used uh, crutches to get around. And so I could kind of pretend that I was, as we could say in the community, a walkie. Uh, of course, it didn't work, but uh, I tried. In the early 70s, there was a movement, in the, particularly in the Bay Area, but other places as well, of people with disabilities coming together and seeing that we had common issues around exclusion, around discrimination, and that we were part of a civil rights group similar to women, GLBT, African-Americans, the Chicano movement. And so all of those, particularly in the, in the Berkeley area, really energized a bunch of us you know, I'm, I, I live in Sonoma County, so I'm about 50 miles away. So I kind of got the second wave of uh, uh, that movement, you know, a year or two later. But it influenced me. And I started hanging out with other disabled people. And I was a photographer at the time. I, my dad owned a camera store. I was a photographer beginning at age 11. So, you know, they'd always been around. And so I started playing with my image of being a disabled person. And the photo that you're seeing is myself when I'm 25 years old. And really what I'm doing is using some of the imagery that came out of Andy Warhol's factory. Mm. And it's, I was thinking about it today and it's kind of like, it's a little bit like drag. It's this hyper-masculine portrayal before we were used to, I mean, once the Castro, once the GLBT movement, the gay movement, the Bay Area really became strong. And we started to see, you know, men, gay men portraying themselves in, in a hyper-masculine way. We were unaware of it, but we did see it coming out of the, the factory. And so I'm using some of that imagery and combining that with some of the uh, discipline and bondage, you know, so to wear a pair of cutoff Levi's and my full leg braces, my black cowboy boots, which I wore all the time. You know, I was one of those hippies that was a cowboy hippie. I wasn't an Indian hippie or East Indian hippie, you know, I was a cowboy hippie. Um, and in those days, look at that little tiny tattoo on my shoulder. That was transgressive in, in the early 70s. That was a big deal to have a tattoo. You know, now people have full sleeves and everything, but 
So, and looking like a tough guy. And Nona will be talking about how his self-image, how he's relating to it. For me, this is closed off. This is saying, don't mess with me. I am not the cripple you think I am. Do not pat me on the head. Mm. You know, do not portray me as somebody who is less than, who is pitiful. Because that's not my experience. And it's also not how I want to be treated. So all of that, believe it or not, is in this photo of me sitting on the arm of a manual wheelchair, an old Everest and Jennings, wearing cutoff Levi's and a wife beater with my hair slicked back and holding, God help us, a bottle of Coors. Uh, that was... I want to say that was before the, the gay community or the women's community um, boycotted Coors. We didn't know at the time that Coors was as conservative as they were. So a couple of years later, it would have been Budweiser. And uh, a couple of years after that, a non-alcoholic drink. I got sober in 83, thank God. So anyway, that's that tough guy image that I have. Nolan? Uh, yeah, I think... Um... Well, it's interesting, yeah, hearing you talk about, oh, yeah, if you bring up my image, I can I can talk about how I think it's a little different. So, I mean, something that, you know, you just talked about is how you were, like, closed off and, you know, don't mess with me. And, you know, for a while you tried to portray yourself as, like, a walkie or someone that didn't have a disability. Yeah. Um, and in this image, um, it's me. I am a light-skinned man. Uh, in the photo I'm cut off from the waist up so you can just see from my waist down and I have light skin and I'm straddling my wheelchair against like a white backdrop so really the image is really focused on the fact that I'm wearing a diaper it's like right in the center of the frame and like something I really wanted to talk about in this image is you know it's a little different in some ways than what Anthony's talking about being closed off. I think when I first got injured and I had a spinal cord injury and became disabled, uh, there was a lot of shame for me around my disability, yeah. especially talking about masculinity. Like, you know, uh, all of a sudden I had to wear diapers. I had to use catheters. I, this, this girl I was dating uh, pretty much ghosted me when I got out of the hospital. Um, I lost... 30 pounds like there was just basically all these tenets of or these ideas of like American masculinity or whatever sort of came like crashing down on me really quick when I was like 22 years old um, and one of the main things I was ashamed about was like my sexuality and the fact that when I first got injured like doctors told me I may never have like another orgasm again or my penis may never work again I might never have an erection like that for me was, I was so ashamed of that. And like the fact that I had to wear diapers that I would, you know, I was like piss myself in the hospital or I would have incontinence. Like to me, like that was the total like antithesis of what it meant to be like a man or something like that. And so for like a long time, even when I started dating again, like I would hide the fact that I wear diapers or that I used catheters or wore a diaper or anything like that. Cause I was so ashamed of it. And um, it's something I still like grapple with. And like, this is the first time I've shared this image publicly. 
Um, and it's like a, still like something that, you know, isn't like the easiest thing for me to do. Um, but, you know, not talking about this stuff doesn't help anybody. And, you know, not talking about stuff is what gives it power. And so, yeah, this level of vulnerability took me like a long time to reach. And in some ways, as much as I'm showing in this image, there's still a lot that I'm holding back. I mean, just to be honest, you know, like I'm not fully nude. And that's something I've thought about, like showing my full body is something that I still have to grapple with. But um, yeah, I mean, it's in some ways as vulnerable and open as it is, there's still a little bit of like guarded, like don't mess with me in this picture as well, I think. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's how I feel about it. Um, Well, when I first saw it, you know, and saw the diaper, it was like, yeah, you know, because I've (laughs) had, you know, start wearing diapers regularly the last couple of years. And it's like, those are some of the, the things we don't talk about because yeah. we want to maintain this strong image yet it's mm. part of our reality yeah i mean and I was, well no go ahead you can i i like how your right leg is uh atrophied leg shows very clearly as well you know i mean that's part of what i was trying to show in my you know this is disability yeah you know don't look away and it allows people to stare in ways that they aren't allowed to stare in public generally Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, people still stare in public, but yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, one of the main things that really still bugs me about, you know, my disability is, or this, the community is like, so often we're just like desexualized as a community. It's like a lot of able-bodied people don't even consider the fact that people or wheelchair users or people with all different kinds of disabilities, like still have sex, like that's something we still desire. And that's like a huge part of like what, like being a human is about and like being like a full person is like there's a whole side of you that has like sexual desire and like for so long I felt like that part of me especially when I got first injured like I didn't feel like comfortable to express it and even like I said today like people still don't even realize like that that's something that we still have before after injury or if it's a congenital disability like something you were born with like we're still just people with the same like wants and needs and desires as like anyone else. And especially like sexuality, I feel like has been such a taboo topic in mainstream uh, topics. Like even when we talk about disability, it's so rare that we talk about sexuality and it's such a big part of just what makes us human. Um, So I really kind of wanted to like put that on the forefront with this image. Um, So I like it. I think it's cool yeah i mean they're they're both incredibly powerful images and um i i really appreciate the vulnerability in both of them um and i i think you know we're as a society we're beginning to recognize that that um being vulnerable is actually quite a powerful um place to be um and that sort of segues really well into the next pair of images so is it okay if we move on to the next please uh, two so my uh my question here is um especially in the u.s you know the concept of interdependence is a really hard thing for people to kind of get their head around um you know because um everything is about being independent and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and blah 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 
And the next pair of images are really powerful and tender. And um, I wonder if you could talk about the challenges of representing this concept of interdependence um, mm. without it becoming pity or, or without it being misunderstood. Um, mm. And don't forget to describe the photo. As yes. Well, so I'm going <laughs> to. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, this photo shows. Uh, uh, it's in color and it shows two women who are wheelchair users and one has her uh, arm around the shoulders of the other woman. And uh, the woman in the center is um, Ann Coppola and the other woman is Denise Figueroa. And um, uh, they're both featured in uh, Crip Camp, if you see anybody's seen the uh, very good documentary. Academy Award nominated. Um, and I had, I have had to force myself to take photographs like this, showing a tenderness and something intimate and something that I want to look away from because I feel like I'm intruding. Mm. And I realized when I started taking photos in the disability community that in my community, that this is what I had to document. I mean, that's the thing of growing up with a disability. I have a lot of ableism, internalized oppression, where mm -hmm. I'm just like the able-bodied world where I don't want to look. And I've had to train myself to look. And so what I like about this photo is that, um, First of all, it's shot at the same level they are. So often, uh, Nolan was talking uh, in a conversation we had about uh, photographs he'd found in an archive, and everything was shot by obviously by an able-bodied photographer because the image was sh you know shooting down at people. This is shooting at the same level, and I think it's a subtle difference, you know, to not be looking down but be looking at a level, you know. And then the other thing is. For one disabled person to be shown comforting another disabled person, it's a very rare, it, we don't see it. The trope, the stereotype is an able-bodied person who is putting their arm around a disabled person, you know, and comforting them. And then occasionally we turn it on its head and have a disabled person comforting an able-bodied person. But very rarely... And Fran, I'd never put the phrase interdependence on it, but that's exactly what this is about. This is what I think is incredibly important in the disability community, and we're working on it, but you know, not as much as I think sometimes we should, which is that we are interdependent on each other. It's not just about independence. I mean, yes, I want to make decisions about my life, but at this point in my life, there's a lot of people in it that I am interdependent with. Mm. And I think it's an important concept. And so with this, moving from the personal into the intimate, you know, and showing a part of the disability community that you regularly don't see. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think like, yeah, like, you know, talking about like pity and, you know, all that stuff. I mean, I think, yeah, so often, like, people with disabilities are used as objects of pity. It's like, 
you know, for other able-bodied people to just feel good about their situation. So it's like, oh, if that person with a disability can do X, Y, or Z, then like, you know, I can do anything. And someone, I forget who, I didn't coin this, but they turned, coined it inspiration porn. And like, so often I think people with disabilities are shown either in a tragic light of like, oh, this awful thing happened, or they're shown as like superheroes. Like, look at this, like, crazy thing that this person with a disability did and like you don't really see a lot of images that are just just regular life like people living together like two friends at a conference or at a talk like just putting your arm around each other or you know hanging out at the park or spending time with family um and it's it's ironic that the most simple kind of mundane imagery in that sense would become the most radical in ways. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. That's the fun part about this. (laughs) It's the most mundane and yet it becomes incredibly radical. Yeah. It's kind of funny. And, um, you know, if you want to bring up the next image. um, Yeah. So this is one of my best friends, uh, Adiambo Mitchell, and he's a dark skinned man with a long beard and he's wiping his son's chin who's also a dark-skinned boy on a bottom bunk bed in their East Harlem apartment like really crowded apartment you could just see stuff everywhere and uh, his son got a cut in his chin and he's just wiping it off and for me like these are the kind of pictures that like I never really get to see of like people with disabilities like how like how often do you get to see like a parent with a disability like taking care of their kid and just like you know just like I said something that seems so mundane like any parent would Mm -hmm. wipe their son's chin if they got cut in the morning but how come we don't get to see like those images of parents with disabilities and you know talking about representation like why don't we ever see like people of color with disabilities like so much of disability is like so white all the time and like a huge portion of the disabled community is, is not white um right. and you know i mean it's just these tender moments of love and like a father's love and a son and i don't know like i said i think this is the kind of imagery that like i always seek to show in my work is like yeah these kind of real moments like tender moments of families or fathers or sons or you know, friends together, like just enjoying life. Because for so long, like our community, like I said, has been shown either tragic or like superheroes. And I think in showing us like that, like it just further ostracizes us because people, yeah, either pity us or in some ways use us for their own inspiration. So we're not really seen as equal because we're just kind of used and you know it's hard you know to to understand why this kind of imagery is kept out of so much of mainstream media um but you know the disabled community is really for the most part hidden and a lot of the stuff you'll see like online or in stories is like you know it's very clean cut or almost commercial And so, like, in these pictures, like, where Anthony's showing, um, you know, two women embracing each other, or, like, my friend Adi, who's a bilateral amputee, like, wiping his son's chin, like, those are the images that I think make the disabled community relatable, 
Like, cause right. any parent can look at this and whether or not they're disabled can say, Oh, I remember when I cleaned my son's chin or, you know, I love my son so much. If they got hurt, of course I'm going to do that. Or, you know, in Anthony's photo, if my friend was going through a hard time, of course I'm going to comfort them. And I think like finding that shared humanity is like what, I mean, that's all I'm trying to do. And I think like, Same, in your, yeah. you know, that's, that's pretty much it because the more we just show the tragedy or like the superhero ness people have a hard time relating to that but any any father could probably relate to the love that they've shown their son um you know so yeah that's one of the things i like about this photo is i don't think it reads quickly as a disabled man Mm. although as somebody who's part of the disability community i look at it and i realize you know that that is a disabled man Mm. you know so it, it there's a subtlety there that, that, you know, as you're talking about, you know, with the inspiration porn or the pity, you know, the yeah. disability is always foregrounded, mm-hmm. you know, whereas here it's subtle. And also, you know, to a certain extent with my photo, you know, the two women, you can see the arms, the wheelchairs, but there's just not obvious that they're disabled people. Yeah. So that's part of the mundaneness of it. That stuff mm-hmm. in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to just while you were talking, the thing that kept coming into my mind was somebody once explained um, inspiration porn to me is the the story always ends up being about the uh, able bodied person and right. not and not the person with the disability. So it's always the, you know, the young girl who invites the guy with Down syndrome to the prom. And the story is all about her. Right. Right. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And so people are used as props and it's so common. Right. Even now it's still incredibly common and really destructive. Um, so I'm glad that you, you both brought that up. Um, yeah. Like we should just see more images of parents with disabilities taking care of their kids. Like, I mean, like I said, it shouldn't have to be like this radical thing and like, you know, yeah. Like this whole pity complex that society has with people with disabilities like we you know no one's asking for special treatment we just want the same things that everyone else wants that's it it's like really not that complicated but society tends to make it like that for you know a dozen reasons but um yeah so well one of the things that i hope makes our images timeless is that the images are good enough that when this stops to be being a surprise to see disabled people in these situations, the photos will stand on their own as just being a part of life. Mm. And at least that's my hope. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I, mean, I hope, yeah, we get to a point where, yeah, like we, we are just seeing, the, you know, it's not strange to like, oh, that person has a disability and they're a parent or like, oh, that person's disabled and they have sexual desires or that person has a job. Like, it's like the most simple stuff that like, you know, if you're able-bodied, it's like, oh, well, you're expected to have a job. You're expected to have a family. You're expected to be independent. And as soon as you become disabled, it's like if all those expectations or things that are normal, like go out the window for whatever reason um so yeah anyway 
Well, um, let's move into the wider world as, as we've been right. talking about that a little bit. And the, the next pair of images um, do record events out in the wider world. And um, I know that being out in the wider world at the moment is very complicated and difficult for a lot of people with disabilities. And so while everybody thinks that, that um, you know, things are getting back to normal for a lot of Im immunocompromised people, they're still... Um, very isolated, and um, it's worth uh, reminding everybody that online events like this are really valuable, and and they we really are. They don't go away uh, when in person is is the is the sort of um, the norm again. Um, but I wonder if you can talk about um, some of oh the the concept of sort of. Um, I don't know how to describe it um, because there's a lot of ambiguity in, in the disability experience. There's joy, but it's very complicated. And maybe Anthony, you can bring some of that into your um, description, the next photo. Well, good, because I was looking at this photo and I was thinking, what am I going to say about it? This is a very complicated photo. Um, what you're seeing, let's see. Uh, I'm going to do that photo description thing. In the foreground is a little person using a power wheelchair. In the midground is another little person um, that seems to be the preferred term these days is LP, is little person. Um, uh, taking a picture of me, so it's all very meta. You know, uh, me being seen being, and seen. And then in the background are a number of people standing around. Uh, none of whom have obvious disabilities. This is the Disability Pride Parade down in San Jose. And I explicitly went there to be able to take pictures of us celebrating. Because in the disability community, I don't believe we celebrate enough. I mean, we're really good at complaining. I shouldn't say that you know, publicly, but I'm going to. You know, we're, we can be really good at complaining about how horrible our lives are. Um, and we don't do a very good job of celebrating, I don't think. You know, that um, we haven't had a disability pride parade in the, in the Bay Area in a long time, you know. And, um, uh, you know, we just seem to go from problem to problem. Mm -hmm. um, so the complexities, the disability community and the Bay Area is the... Actually, I'm, I'm an outsider looking at what's happening in Chicago or L.A. or San Francisco or Boston, I mean, uh, New York or Boston. But as an insider in the San Francisco Bay Area disability community, it's incredibly complex. And Corporate O'Toole talks about circles, that she's in various circles. And it, that really worked for me. The broadest circle is the disability community. And that includes this, you know, what do they say? 25% of the people in the United States fit under that tent, fit within that circle. But within that circle, for me, I mean, there's older white guys using wheelchairs that, it, that is one of my circles. You know, and to get even smaller, it's older white guys using wheelchairs who are sober, you know? I mean, it's like this really tiny little group. But, you know, there's a broader group, the disability studies folks. There's, you know, 
and they're they're overlapping and they're in contention at times you know and there's just like as we've seen in other communities you know there's some of the strife you know there's the oh you don't have it right you know the um you know it's been fascinating this week with the academy awards and coda winning best picture you know there's this outswelling of isn't this wonderful you know and you see everybody in the audience waving their hands you know using deaf gestures you know rather than clapping but you know shaking their hands like this you know and then i started reading people doing analysis of coda and that it's more about the able-bodied perspective and the burden that the deaf person creates on that you know to say that it's all very complicated and we're figuring it out as we go that what I have to remind myself is it's an exciting time to be alive, you know, in that so much is going on in the disability community as we're figuring this stuff out, you know, as an older, white, straight, cis male in the Bay Area and a wheelchair user. It's, you know, all of these identities, you know, they're, they're, they're constantly shifting, they're constantly changing, you know, and to see how I used to be in the center of things, and now I'm more on the periphery, as I age, you know, is fascinating, you know, how can I still be relevant, you know, and how do I support the people who are coming after me, you know, the younger people, so that they hopefully don't make some of the same mistakes. And so this is, I didn't realize that this photo contained all of that, but it does. Mm. You know, it's the various, you know, people involved that are underneath that disability tent are out there celebrating. Yeah. And, and so one thing I should mention, the, uh, the young woman in the foreground, uh, her name's Sue Fawn. And she was killed in a traffic accident in San Francisco as a pedestrian. So mm. there is some tragedy in our community that's real. Yeah, definitely. And if, um, no, I think if you, um, hold on one second. If you go to the next image in the series, um, I mean, uh, speaking about uh, just losing someone in the community, um, I mean, so in this photo, it's inside a community center, and there's about 50 to 60 wheelchair users of all different races um, in East Harlem, and most people are wearing purple, um, and everyone has their heads down, and they're in the form of a circle, and this was when uh, a friend of ours in the, in the community, Kim, uh, she passed away from it wasn't related to COVID but this was like literally four or five days before everything like shut down and so there was a memorial for her at a community center in East Harlem and so everyone came together and you have I mean to get uh, if anyone I mean it's not really that often you see like this many wheelchair users no you never do you never really see pictures like this and I think you know, for anyone who's not a wheelchair user, like getting 50 plus wheelchair users into this shape, like this circle is like, I mean, it took us 30, 40 minutes just to arrange this because it's not like you can just walk around and move and crouch together. Like getting people with all different wheelchairs to, to even get into this um, 
the circle was a challenge, but um, I mean, I think it, like, again, I think it's this other thing, like, um, like, like Anthony was saying about, you know, we, we need to celebrate more. And so while like this was a memorial and one of our friends who passed away, like, I really look at this as like a celebration of her life. Right. And like, it was really intense because I think sometimes in the community, like we have a tendency to feel like in some ways the community is so big, especially when you're in it and you get caught up in the day to day of your life. You know, like certain people would have like little beefs with each other or disagreements and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, when it really all comes down to it, when we're all gathered in the same room, like it's hard to ignore the fact that our community is is really a small community. and when we lost a member who was really a pillar in the community i mean regardless of what everyone's like personal relationships is in the photo like everyone came together and we all like we all needed to come together and and you know speak our our piece about kim and people gave the mic around and some people cried and other people were comforting each other and again i think it's just like these universal human things that I think are like really important to show like with the disabled community because whether or not you're a wheelchair user or you have CP or spina bifida or whatever, like a part of life is death. And so at some point, you know, we're all gonna go and our parents and our friends, like we're all gonna experience death at some point. And I'm sure any of us who are past the age of like 15 have experienced the loss of someone really close to us. And I think like mourning and grief is one of those like really universal, like human emotions that we have. And I, I really feel like, like that's the way where I can use like a camera as a tool to convey how we as people with disabilities are similar to other people. Because if you can create like those connections and people can start to see like, oh yeah, like, you know, I remember just yesterday I was at, a couple of days ago, I went to my friend's memorial. I mean, it goes, I think eventually, you know, the wheelchairs sort of fade away and you're now, you don't even really see them anymore. You're just noticing the fact that people are, are you know, at a memorial remembering someone that they love. And I really feel like the more like empathy you can create between communities like the more opportunity and chance there is for like real radical change because you know if if people who are able-bodied keep looking at people with disabilities as others then you know it's going to be hard no matter what's in place you know no matter what laws are in place people have to have empathy for those who the laws are made to protect. Otherwise, I mean, you know, people are going to violate the law all the time. And I mean, it does happen. But I mean, I just really hope like images like this create a sense of empathy and not sympathy. Because I mean, I think there's a big, uh, you know, people tend to use empathy and sympathy like interchangeably or synonymously. And there's like a really big difference between empathy and sympathy. And empathy, you know, is really rooted in the fact that you can really relate to someone and you're, you're putting yourself in that person's shoes and sympathy is rooted in the idea of pity. And I really, you know, I, I think that 
images like this can hopefully create more empathy between groups of people and not so much sympathy because like Fran, like you mentioned earlier, you know, like the stories that revolve around sympathy are so often about the person in a position of power. Like it's about the able-bodied person who took uh, the, the kid with the disability to prom or whatever. It doesn't really end up being about them. And so, yeah, like with images like this, I really just, well, I really hope that when people see this, they feel like empathy, like for the fact that this community just lost someone that was super close to them. And yeah, like we don't come together enough. I agree with that. I mean, this is the last time we all came together right. as like a crew. Like, I mean, COVID aside, but before this, I mean, getting all of us together like this, like it doesn't happen enough. And so, yeah, I agree. I mean, I feel like, you know, we, we're just so used to having to fight all the time that sometimes we forget that it's okay to also just celebrate the fact that right. we're still here, you know? Um, so. It's yeah. interesting. The photo of the woman comforting the other woman was taken at a memorial. Mm. And so that is where a lot of times the disability community in the Bay area comes together is that was before COVID at memorials. Right. And, and again, I really feel like that's that's the, the universal thing. I mean, regardless of disabilities or not, I mean, how often do you not see your best friends or your family and then someone dies and everyone gets together? I mean, right. People can't seem to find the time in life, but we seem to find the time in death, which is like fascinating to me. And that's not just true for us. It's true for like everybody, I think. I mean, some people are better at it than others, but um, yeah. So. Well, the the other thing that I think is really important about these this pair of photos is that um, it shows all the people who write the code, the building codes, and sort of you know do that whole compliance thing. That you know wheelchair riders have friends who are wheelchair riders, and they like to do right. things together. And in, and I remember having a conversation with Corbett O'Toole. We've mentioned her already. Um, but she's a really important figure in the Bay Area. And she said, you know, well, I like to go to exhibitions with my friend. And usually, you know, we go side by side. And um, very often the codes are written for like a single wheelchair user who is right. kind of with somebody else who's not a wheelchair user. And so I think both of your photos demonstrate that, you know, people with disabilities have a social life. They, have right. fun. they want to go out and party and, and celebrate just like everybody else. Yeah, definitely. I mean, oh well, man, maybe, I could like talk about that for so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should move on to the final pair of photos, and um, I think um, yeah. So Ellen, you're you're up first, and I I just wanted to ask you if you could talk a little bit about the power dynamics involved in taking this kind of photograph, and um, yeah, just that whole realm of. Um, power and who's taking the photo and who's being who's being photographed yeah totally so this is a photo of alex who's a light-skinned man and he's holding onto a railing going down a double flight of stairs in new york city subway station specifically the 14th street 8th avenue station which is especially perilous um and so he's going down 
the chair backwards. And then in the left side of the frame, there's a man who's looking back at him with kind of a shocked look on his face. And then two people at the bottom of the stairs too. And yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, this is about so many things. It's, you know, I mean, so often with disability, we talk about accessibility and inaccessibility in this instance, like the fact that the elevator, there's an elevator at the station, but so often they're out of service. So there might as well not be. So like, it's interesting because the New York City, like Metro Transit system says, oh, 23% of our stations are accessible. And the reality is, is like probably at any given time, it's probably like, I mean, I'm, this isn't an official number, but I'm guessing it's more like 10% because it's always like a crapshoot when you show up to a station, whether or not the elevator is going to be in service or not. And so in this instance, my friend had to go down backwards, like four flights of stairs, just so we could like catch the train home. And, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, something that's like interesting about being a photographer is, yeah, I do have like a level of agency and and power, you know, because I get to show things like, like I got to talk about this picture on New York One. Um, Like I, I was interviewed on New York One and I got to talk about like human rights and disability rights. And this was one of the main pictures that I got to discuss. And, you know, I use my wheelchair most of the time, but I'm able to walk. And at this instance, I think I was walking like with my two canes. So like, you know, while my friend had to like, you know, if he falls and breaks his neck, I mean, he could even be more paralyzed or maybe die. I don't know. There was plenty of uh, people who have died falling down the subway stairs, pushing a stroller or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think as a photographer, when it comes to like agency and power over a narrative, like that's something that I've had to like lean into more as I've matured as a photographer like because at first it was something I didn't really like even think about as much and then the more I got into it I had some of my mentors like pointing me pointing it out like hey you have like all this this power like with the camera and like you know like I was just photographing like I didn't even realize this how important this photo would be I was literally just photographing me and my friends like in Harlem and Brooklyn and it wasn't until one of my mentors saw all these pictures of me and my friends. And it was like, these are, these are your most important pictures. Like forget all the other stuff you're doing. Like this is, a, this is it right here. And, and that was something I didn't realize. And then as I started to realize I had like this agency and power with, with the camera, I'm like, all right, well, if I'm going to like show people's lives and they're going to trust me with the power in some ways to, to shift their narrative, because it is, you know, as a photographer, the story is always about me at some point. I can't divorce right, right. myself from that, no matter what. Um, but, you know, this is my friend Alex, and it's his life, and all the other photos. Like, it's my friend Adiambo and, and his kid and the community. So, I mean, I just, you know, in this photo and every photo I've taken that's that doesn't have me in it, you know, I'm very, you know, conscious of the fact that in a lot of ways, like, I've been given so much responsibility as an image maker and someone who gets to tell these stories and like the photos that I put out and how I work with people. And, you know, even now I work like so much more collaboratively with people. Like I've actually handed off my camera to my friends and been like, you take some pictures. Like, I don't know, you show me what you want, like how you see the world. Like, this is how I see it, but your perspective is just as interesting and important as mine. So, I mean, as a photographer, there's always some power dynamic there. and. Um, yeah, in, in this photo, you know, I had 
my friend Alex, he kind of, he was always just like, dude, photograph whatever, you know, like, what, you know, what doesn't matter. And um, I don't even think he really understood like how much like impact this image would have had. Right. Um, so I see it as like, it's a lot of power, but it's also just like, I feel like I've worked so hard and like trained so hard to train my eye and like my judgment to be like, all right, well, this is something that like, I have to photograph because people have to see this. Like it's, it's too important to not photograph it. Just how like before I was saying like, there's some things that if you don't talk about them, they have power over you. And I believe there's things that if you don't show certain things, they have power over you or like a community or something. And like showing this to me was like a kind of liberation and you know, it was like a really important image for me to make. And yeah, I mean, that's all I can say about that. <laughs> I'm reminded that we don't take the photographs, the photographs take us. Yeah, a photography mean, teacher of mine told me that, you know, so there's images that, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, this is stereotypical, but it's, you know, it took me, so I took it. Yeah, I mean, it's not a coincidence that you find yourself in certain situations. Right, right, right exactly. Like, I mean, as a photographer, you get to choose where you put yourself. Like, you know, I was there with my friend at midnight, and I, I literally, like I said, I didn't think really anything of this image until someone pointed it out to me, like how crazy it was. Right. I, I was just so used to it. I was like, oh, yeah, he just does this. And like, my professor right. was like, are you kidding me? This is insane. <laughs> like, People I mean, this is our day-to-day -day lives, but yeah, yeah, the world sees it as something else, and we have to kind of have so, outside our view to be able to go, oh, okay, this does have some... Yeah, I mean, I needed someone to tell me, like, this is insane, because I was just <laughs> so used to it. I'm like, oh, no, this is just what, like, we have to do, like, it's, you know, and he was like, no, like, I'm, like, people need to see this kind of thing, so yeah, it's it's really interesting, like, as photographers, like, where we find ourselves, and I feel like we're naturally drawn to certain, and obviously, I mean, I was just photographing my friends for, right. just for the sake well, of it. it. And then, so it, it's interesting though, because now obviously I look at the world a lot more critically than I did when I first got injured, but right. uh, yeah. And, and it's from a series called Invisible, which I thought was really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's. I wasn't sure if you were referring to yourself as the invisible photographer mm. or or the the guy going down the stairs. Yeah, I, was, I mean that was in reference to just like the whole community. It's like uh, because we're not really seen. I mean, we're just not really seen. The world looks away. Yeah, the world looks away. They're, so it's ironic because in public, so many people just like stare at you, like all the time. Little kids families adults I'll be rolling by in my wheelchair people are just like breaking their necks to look at me and then it's ironic because when it comes to like mainstream media or like advertisements or feature-length films or books or you know whatever we're just not really there and so like invisible really came from the fact that like all the images in that series I guess really like with my whole body of work I just feel like it, it, it is invisible like like people don't see this stuff and yeah I mean like I said I think talking about things showing things is what takes the power the, I guess it is what it kind of you know takes the oppressive elements 
of of silence away like right. it, it negates exactly. that and so i'm i mean it's awesome that i get to like talk about this image right now yeah well we should move on to anthony's <laughs> final image um because we are getting close to time right so here we show a graduation scene from a high school and there's a uh a uh, light-skinned woman in a white graduation gown using a wheelchair. And uh, in the background, it says, congratulations, uh, maybe graduating 2011. And there's a ramp that leads out of the frame and an American flag blowing. And this is always, I was kind of surprised. This is a scene that I always found a little bit unsettling as the ramp goes out of the frame but Nolan was saying he liked it, you know, in comparison to his friend going down the stairs and that, you know, here is a ramp, you know, here's an example of that. We are making it possible for disabled people to graduate from high school, to be able to have a ramp and go up on stage to get their diploma. And unlike when I graduated from USF with my master's, I had to, I didn't get to go up on stage because there's no ramp. I had to go out in front and, uh, Whoever gave me the diploma had to walk down the stairs to shake my hand. And, you know, doesn't matter. Um, I do need to point out in this photo, what I particularly like about the unsettling is the uh, the dark figure of the boy's vice president in the background and his whole role, he's right in the center of the frame, is to make sure nobody throws Frisbees around. <laughs> So they smuggle tortillas in underneath their robes and throw the tortillas around like uh, uh, Frisbees. Uh, <laughs> so this... Um, well, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I like it in contrast to my image because, you know, in, in the image I showed, like, my friend Alex is, like, going down. Right. And, and in this image, it's like, yeah, there is a ramp. There is a progress. Like, this person we know is going to go up, but, like... I mean, you can, I mean, you know, but where does it go? Right, but where does it go? Exactly. That's part of the unsettling part of it, which I think is is part of the power of it. Yeah, you know, because it's like, I mean, I love how the flag is over there too on the right. I mean, I think it's just such a great metaphorical picture because it's like, yeah, like we can graduate, we can go to school, there's a ramp, but like there is so much job then what? Yeah. yeah then what you graduate you have a diploma and then what like you go to college and you're you're if like you know, yeah you, you don't have accessible textbook materials or online stuff or you can't get into buildings or even when you get your diploma like there's so much job discrimination out there like I my social worker literally told me not to check the disabled box on my job applications right she was like don't do it like you're you're setting yourself up to not get jobs like it, it used I, to be before the ada that it was good to disclose a disability up front but now it's much better to not unless you have a visible disability and you need to explain how you're going to do the job it, it's interesting yeah there's so much discrimination in jobs it's just it's dumbfounding yeah, and education too i mean look at how so many like kids with disabilities are like sequestered from the other kids in the school. Like they're put in like special classrooms and people don't like, I remember growing up, like before I had an injury, I never had one kid in my class who was a wheelchair user. Right. And I can guarantee there were kids who were wheelchair users at my school. I just was never exposed to them like ever. And right. 
you know. And that's unfortunate because that's what that's part of what makes the difference. You know, it's yeah. when I started getting exposed exposed to other disabled people that I started to lose my ableism and started to be able to work on that. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, I always really like this picture because it's like it's it's just like so like it's, I just think it's a great metaphor. It's like congratulations, America, you're graduating, <laughs> but like where the hell does this thing go? Like, I mean, it's you know, I mean, I, I just I love it. I think it's such a great picture. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I really like it. Um, I think we're almost out of time. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, gonna... yeah, I think we have a couple of questions, or at least one question we can get to at least. And um, you can address actually. Mm. And um, this is from Candace. And she asked, How can we learn more about all the speakers and their social media? Oh. Uh, you can find me at a tussler a t u s l e r at uh instagram and uh facebook and i'm in the process of redoing my website so i can show more of my photos but you yeah. can also find me on uh flickr under a tussler yeah mine is just uh i for instagram which uh, i don't use as much anymore but um, it's at Nolan Tro, so just N O L A N T R O W E, and then my website is nolanryantro.com. And so, and then if you just Google my name, I have like, um, I mean, I've done a few articles with the New York Times, uh, like different like art mag. Like I have some interviews out there. I've done some stuff with New Mobility, um, which is a wheelchair user like specific magazine so if you just google my name like a bunch of stuff will come up too yeah when i first started looking into you that's what i did is i googled your name and and hit the new york times uh photo series and i was just like holy moly look at this this is great stuff you know oh, so thanks. well i feel like we we've um we've only just scratched the surface and we've just started right. this great conversation and maybe we'll get another opportunity to come back and look at some more photographs because it was a really wonderful dialogue between everybody so thank you oh thank you thank, thank you, you robert yeah and i think that the presentation is very moving and powerful and very informative and i think it's really calling for an exhibition <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know i think it's screaming for it you know <laughs> What a yeah, good idea. <laughs> right, right? <laughs> yeah, I would love, I mean, I would love to, to show. Well, yeah, you absolutely. But there's well, also I, a part of me that goes, oh, more photos. I, I just want to give a plug for, actually, some of um, Anthony's photographs Please. were um, in an exhibition called The Art of Disability Culture at Ruth's Table, which is not a restaurant. It is an, a, a gallery. Um, look up ruthstable.org, and it will be on until May the 20th. So, um, It's in San Francisco, south of Market. Cool. Yeah, no, it is. And there is some fantastic works there. Fran has this ability, both hard work and, and discernment, to be able to find these works by disabled artists that are just incredibly powerful. So it's, it's a very good show. Thank you. <laughs> so, Robert, I'm, I'm handing it back to you. Yeah, to thank you. Well, I want to thank you. Thank you. Anthony and Nolan for this discussion. This is great. This, this important topic. And for me, I have a better sense of understanding about the whole topic about arts of culture, disability culture. And I think our viewing cool. audience do as well, you know? 
and we're going to have to do right. this again. You know? Absolutely. In the yeah, future. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes, it's for sure. So thank you for joining us today. And um, thank you, our viewing audience. And um, my name is Robert Milton. I'm your host. And um, hope to see you at our next, uh, next talk on the arts of disability culture. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.